acting weak with certain ballets and concerts I'm just going to have to miss. Tell them about the people coming to the office. That's what they want to hear. Tell them that. Oh, oh, you know who came in today? This guy, David Bowie. He comes in here and says, ask a train coat right He's there. He's a faggot. It's a half faggot, man. Hey, relax. Come on, sit down. You mean he's a bisexual? Yeah, he swings both ways. Men and boys. <laughs> oh, so yeah? funny. Well, you know who came in today? Joe Namath. You know Joe Namath. He comes in and uh, he wants some coffee, so I brought him some coffee, and then he asked me to sit down and have some coffee with him. You had coffee with Joe Namath? Yeah, that's right. And we were talking a little bit. He wanted to know what it was like to be uh, 21. And I told him I didn't know, because I was just 20. Yeah? What else? That's all. I done enough. everybody, great to be here in the middle of the season. Everyone's just about sick of it, as James Spader says in Pretty Fake. Actually, he doesn't say it like that. He says, hey, nobody appreciates uh, your sense of humor. Point. In fact, everybody's just about to puke from it. That's what he actually says. We have to get it right on this show, am I right? <laughs> am I right, people? Anyway, let's start an all-new podcast now! I think I'm still recovering from last week's podcast with the lovely Rachel Feinstein. I think that was a pretty fun one. Uh, Rachel makes a very good guess because, uh, you know, she gives me a lot of shit and I enjoy it because it's funny and I think we make a pretty good combination together. And uh, that's, the name of, that's the name of that tone. As Robert Blake says in a classic SCTV, which we will be talking about today because uh, another person has died that... Uh, I mean, what can I say? All these people are dying that have shaped my existence. I think we played up top. David Bowie. <laughs> the classic Saturday Night Fever. Remember about two weeks ago, we were talking about the Brady Bunch and Joe Namath and then the Muhammad Ali thing and different strokes. Well, another 70s reference where they mentioned that was the 60s of the Brady Bunch. Or was that the 70s? That was the 70s. Another 70s movie where they mentioned Joe Namath. That's how popular he was. Brady Bunch and Saturday Night Fever. Most popular television show, one of the most popular movies of all time. Mentioned Joe Namath as this great hero legend. And unfortunately for a lot of us, that's probably going to happen with Tom Brady, I guess. But he's not cool. See, Tom Brady's not cool. He's not going to sit and have coffee with that girl. When we all know Joe Namath was trying to pick up that girl. He asked me, what's, what's it like to be 21? I said, I don't know. I'm only 19. <laughs> Should have just done it. <laughs> Come on, Stephanie. I'm just going to walk you home. I mean, Joe Namath was way cool, and he isn't. There's no way. You can't compare Tom Brady and Joe Namath because uh, Joe Namath is not. Uh, Tom Brady is, uh, you know, it. listen, this sucks to have to say because, you know, I have to hate Tom Brady because I'm a Jets fan, but. I guess he's going to be the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, how can you not say that? Five rings? How can you not? And and don't, I mean, you can't deny what happened two weeks ago wasn't all his doing. That's not Belichick. Belichick messed it up. 
And then Tom Brady's like, Bill, I'll handle this. But he's never going to be in a movie where they say, yeah, I had coffee with him and he asked me what it's like. That's not going to happen because Joe Namath was clearly trying to pick up that girl. And Tom Brady, he just seems like no fun. And Joe Namath was the coolest of cool. And that's the point. Not only did, I mean, Joe Namath had a couple of good seasons, right? And especially a, a legendary one for the ages. Joe Namath is, of course, responsible for making the Super Bowl why we all know what Tom Brady does. It's all thanks to Joe Namath. Joe Namath combined the AFL and the NFL because he was, you know, Super Bowl three was where it all came together, which is why all Tom Brady makes so much money and all these idiots make so much money. It's all thanks to Joe Namath, who was probably making nothing. I mean, he was probably making a lot for back then. But if you think about it, probably not too much, except he had ads and stuff like that. Probably the first guy to ever get ads. Pantyhose? I mean, then you know you're a star. But, I mean, this guy is responsible. For, and then guaranteeing a win at a 16-point underdog and then pulling it off. Can you imagine if Matt Ryan did that <laughs> and he almost pulled it off? But you got to be a dick to guarantee a win these days, especially when you don't do it. You can only do it if you're like a big underdog and then you do it. Otherwise, you just look like a complete dick. And that is what I mean, that didn't even make Joe's legend. He was already a huge, famous, unbelievable star. And, you know, he guaranteed that win and that just put it into unbelievable folklore. So Tom Brady. Suck it. One of the Jets, one of the Patriots. Of course, Tom Brady, uh, Joe Namath left us with 40 years of fruit, 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 fruit to it. What do you, wow, I'm so bad at, I'm so stupid. For, oh, I can't think, futility. God, I'm really stupid. I'm like not bright, you know, when it comes to words and stuff. I hate that about myself. Could I fix it? Yeah, probably. Who wants to? Who cares? I don't really care. Um, anyway, let's get down to some podcasting business. I'm by myself today. I think we've had guests three weeks in a row, maybe. Did we? I don't remember. Who cares? We're alone today. Uh, I'm having trouble figuring out next week. Let me just take a sip of here. Got some Starbucks by myself today. I usually only get that when there's a guest. But um, I'm having trouble with next week. I'd like to invite that really great actress who's going to be in every show I do now, Bethel Karam, to the podcast next week because I'd like to have somebody who's going to be in The Godfather the week before The Godfather. But Tom, the great Tom Papa asked me to be in his live show, and it's usually on Tuesdays, but this week it's on a Wednesday which is when I usually tape the podcast. So I either have to have her on Thursday, put the podcast on on Friday, which isn't that bad if it's not a holiday weekend, or maybe have her come over Tuesday. I'm trying to figure it out, but I'd like to have her come on. I always like to have a guest, although having her the day after could be good too. But I always like to talk a little Godfather the week before. Uh, I'm very uptight about it. I finally finished the script. Here's who's involved now, uh, folks. Rachel, we didn't know this, when she was on the podcast last week, but Rachel has agreed to play Apollonia. Now, I know we were... This is what's been confusing me. I know we were going to get Susie Essman first, which would have taken it a different direction because I w wanted her to be her character in uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which, you know, would have been great. And then uh, on Friday night, 
I went down to the cellar to meet with uh, this Brazilian girl who's very pretty, uh, who I've known for many years to play Apollonia because she has a nice accent and she's very pretty. But I don't want to be rude, but she was a little old for the part. You know what I'm saying? She's like 44. She looks amazing. But if you're going to go for the Apollonia type and just have an actress who's playing Apollonia, then I think you got to get somebody really young and really... you got to get a bombshell. Whereas with Rachel, she's playing it as a character, so it doesn't matter. I mean, she's pretty anyway, but she's still about the same age as that girl. She's not in her 40s yet, but... Um, you know, Apollonia was like 17, you know, so... And, you know, real a real stunning, you know, beauty, even for the 70s. <laughs> so anyway, Rachel's going to do it, which is great. So Friday night was very successful. I met with this girl, but it just it wasn't working in my head. And then I went to the cellar. I'm like, Rachel, please. Because she didn't want to do it because Marina spread the word around to the cellar that I'm hard to work with, which I totally understand. I get it because Marina, Marina's not as, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Marina's. But you know, she's not a classic stage actress. Um, yeah, that's right. I got to kick a little ass sometimes. I got a show to do. He was banging cocktail waitresses two at a time. The players couldn't get a drink at the table. Yeah, I got to bust a little ass on stage sometimes. I have an hour to run through the script. So a lot of times I'm not, if I'm curt with you, it is because time is of the essence. I'm going to have to memorize that line from Pulp Fiction that Harvey Keitel says. So pretty please, with sugar on top, clean the fucking car. Because I have an hour to read through, and this script is long. I'm very uptight about it. 70 goddamn pages with cues and comedians, you know, who want to make jokes and can't blame them. I got, I got one hour to get through a rehearsal, maybe an hour and a half, one time before an audience of 200 people come in, pay money, buy drinks, and want to be entertained. Uh, and if it goes badly, it doesn't reflect on anyone but me. So, yeah, if somebody comes in and they're not doing the right job, would I like to take them inside and say, you know, and then that night after rehearsal and say, here's what I'm thinking? Well, there's no time for that. So, yeah, when Marina came on and she started doing the black voice, uh, it just, she's like, well, I thought you wanted it this way. And I'm like, no, no, I, I don't want it this way. And then we got into a fight. I don't know why we got into a fight, but. She's just, she doesn't like, uh, well, most comics don't like uh, uh, directing or whatever. So I came off like a dick. I don't care. I just want to go through the thing. And if somebody's not doing the right way, I'm going to be a dick about it. I don't, you know, what can, what can I do? What can I do? Would I like to have more time and, and rehearse? Yeah, of course I would. But I got to get through it. So, I mean, she jokingly said it, but I know she told everybody. So Rachel was terrified. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I won't be that way. And then I explained to her what the process is. So I think she'll get it. Plus, she's my pal. Who cares? Plus, I think I got lucky that she didn't show up on the Super Bowl Sunday. She's been doing a lot of stuff to like, to the podcast, talk to that 13-year-old kid, and um, and then just doing the show. I think she's trying to make up for... Uh, not showing up, which I swear I wasn't even upset about because I was glad she didn't show up because I didn't want to be there. Uh, as it turned out, it worked out great. I saw my bookie the other week. Oh, by the way, I don't know whether I, I don't think I talked about this last week. I put a bet on the Oscars already. My guys have 
the categories. I, I, I don't think I talked about this last week because I don't think I did it until Thursday. So I was doing some research. A lot of times they move the line off my Oscar pick, but they have not done that yet. It makes me a little nervous. But I look for the value. You know, I can't bet Emma Stone to win or Viola Davis, the perfect example. I cannot bet Viola Davis to win Best Supporting Actress because you have to put up $5,000 to win $100. Obviously, that's no good for us. Uh, I can't even put Emma Stone to win Best Actress because it's $1,500. These are clear favorites. So that's not where you're going to make your money. Now, last year, you know, I won a couple of money. I won some money. I picked Spotlight. That was like plus 150 bucks, so it was beautiful. And just talking about putting 50 bucks on it or whatever. But I found some serious value in this documentary short, and I don't mind telling everybody because my bet's already in, called The White Helmet. Now, I have no idea what it's about, and I really don't care. I know it is something to do or reflects upon, and the reason why I was looking up why people think it will win is because it somehow deals with the Muslim ban. So I'm taking a chance. It's plus $425. If I put $100, you win $425. So I'm like, I'm going to put $100 on this because I'm up. So I'm like, I'm going to take a chance. And then I put $20 on this animated short called Sing. I don't know what it is, but it's plus $700. You put $20, you win $300. So that's the parts where nobody knows. So I'm um, taking a chance. Taking a chance. And there's another, oh, I took another documentary short just in case for $20, which will also pay like 150 bucks. Uh, I don't even remember what it's called, but uh, we're probably not going over the Oscars this year because I got The Godfather coming up. Uh, and my friend Mary, who we usually go over the Oscars with, who's very good at this, is in London for a month on business. So uh, that's she usually comes on the podcast. She's got an amazing speaking voice and is, loves the Oscars. She's cute as can be, but she's not in town. So what's the point? And quite frankly, quite frankly, the Oscars suck this year. Two reasons. Number one, does anybody, even if you don't like Donald Trump, does anyone want to hear celebrities and their political views? Does anyone, does any of you people, I don't care if you like Hillary or Bernie or hate Donald or like Donald, is there anyone who wants to hear some stupid fucking actor after they've won an Academy Award, which means they're going to make a shitload of money, a shitload of movies for the rest of their lives, maybe, unless they're Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> uh, does anyone want to hear their political views after they've won? Absolutely not. Yeah, other actors... I'm sure Sarah Silverman will be very interested in what they say, but the normal folk, oh man, I don't want to hear any of those people talking. I don't want to watch that show, but now I got real money on the Oscars. It's like the Super Bowl for me, so I got to watch it. I, are you kidding? I'm not going to watch. I, I, I'm going to be sitting there dying. Best documentary short? That's where I usually fast forward. Now we got some action on it. You imagine the per and the person who's going to get up there and get the if they if that movie wins they're going to be like I would just like to say that the Muslim ban is not because I, I don't know what accent I'm doing I'm doing an in between English and Scottish or something. What Donald Trump is doing to the nation shouldn't be reflected on the other countries. 
What we do, we are citizens, all of us. Whatever he says, fuck you. I mean, if that guy, let's say that that's what this movie's about, and that guy says something, well, you know what? We don't have to say fuck you to that. We can say, eh, hey, he made a movie about this. So, uh, you know, if you're making a movie about shit that's going on in the world, and then you win, and then you say something, eh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, all right, right? But if you are Emma Stone and you get up and you are a very good actress, beloved by everyone, nobody doesn't like Emma Stone. It's not like Anne Hathaway who everyone hates. Nobody doesn't like Emma Stone. She's sexy. She's a good actress. And from what I have heard from my sources in show business, I've heard her, she is a doll. Like the real deal. But does anyone want to hear her political views? No. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, when I was auditioning, auditioning, you know, the Brazilian girl to play Apollonia, she's Brazilian. And I don't know if you've ever dated or been around girls from Brazil or Italy or anywhere where they have an accent. They can't wait to tell you their political views. It is annoying. It's funny most of them are smarter than Americans in many ways because they speak seven languages. Even the dumbest people there speak like five languages. But they have their opinions. But the rest of the world knows a lot more than we do. Um, the rest of the world is very interested in the rest of the world. Whereas America, we're only interested in America. Yeah! USA! USA! And why shouldn't we be? Because we're the greatest! Woo! USA. And I mean, in a way, you know, isn't that what Donald Trump's trying? He's trying to say like, yeah, well, well, you know, we'll worry about the foreign people. Let, let's concentrate on this country. Let's concentrate on us getting back, making it great again. I mean, there's definitely something to be said for that. We got to sometimes, I, you know, I'm like with him. I'm like, we got to concentrate on on us, on poverty here. And, uh, you know, people who don't have jobs here. I know we also want to help other nations. That's great too, but let's let's focus here for a second. You know, uh, we got a lot of issues. Got to work them out. Anyway, where am I going? The Oscars. So anyway, the Oscars this year stink. There's not one movie that I enjoy. I mean, did I enjoy La La Land? You bet I did. Sure, I did. It's good enough. It's a musical. It's Dave Juska's kind of film, technically, except uh, the the ending wasn't real, but I, I still let it go. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's, it has more nominations than The Godfather? What? You, La La Land is, you're telling me that the only thing available this year is La La Land and they've nominated it more than The Godfather or even Titanic, which I love, which I think is complete. Oscar-worthy movie, but La La Land has more Oscar nominations? La La Land? Listen to what it's called. La La Land? What? It's good. It's good enough. It's not The Godfather. Let me put it this way to you. 
many years ago. I've used this on the show. Uh, the great movie critic Richard Roper said the most prolific thing on Howard, which I stick by to this day, was very, very interesting. It was the year that Sandra Bullock won for The Blind Side, which I just saw again on Sunday. Great movie. And Sandra Bullock was amazing in it. Really amazing. A transformation of her normal character. Outstanding acting job. Totally deserving of an Oscar. Meryl Streep that year, also nominated for the worst film ever, Julie, Julia, Julie and Julia, right? About Julia Child. And I love Amy Adams, and I think she's a terrific actress, but her scenes in that movie stink. That whole subplot sucks. And Meryl Streep as Julia Child was brilliant, and that was the fun. And I, I was very angry because I was a huge fan of Julia Child, like a huge fan. I like watching her. I like watching her cook. I like the shows where she has cooking with master chefs. And I feel it was a disservice to her to share the screen with this idiot, this idiot who's either a true story about some girl that decides to cook all of Julia Child's meals in a year or whatever, and she's going to blog about it. Oh, what? It's an insult. Anyway, the nominations, I don't remember what everybody else was. I could look it up, but who cares? Now I kind of want to look it up. But it's Sandra Bullock, Meryl Streep. So Howard Stern says, who do you think should win Best Actress? And he goes, Meryl Streep. And he goes, why? He goes, well, let me ask you a question. Could Meryl Streep have been in the blind side 20 years ago? If she was 20 years younger, could she have been the character in the blind side? And Howard's like, yeah, of course. Could Sandra Bullock possibly ever play Julia Child? And he's like, no. And he goes, there you go. Meryl Streep's the best actress. It's that simple. So let me ask you this. In 40 years, will there be anybody doing a reading of La La Land anywhere in 40 years? Will anybody be doing a reading of La La Land? No. Will there be a Broadway show of La La Land? Oh, you're damn right there will be. But not in 40 years. Not in 40 years. 40 years, we won't remember La La Land. That is the issue. As I'm saying it, I'm thinking, well, maybe. (laughs) I mean... Anyway, there's no other movies. I, you know, Manchester by the Sea, not interested. Moonlight, all this crap. What was the one that I finally saw? Oh, Arrival was okay. God, it's all crap. I mean, we talk about this every year. It's one of those years. The reason Emma Stone's going to win, there's no one else. There's no one else. There's no outstanding performances that are going to, and we're going to talk about this later at the Grammys, actually, like with with, um, somebody that died in a second, but. There's no one else. So it's a great year. La La Land got lucky. They would probably lose to everything if, I don't know, not not just because it won last year, but Spotlight came out maybe because it's more relevant, it's more entertaining. Um, I don't know. I can't think of a movie that was fun and effective and great and deserving of an Oscar in the past couple of years, so I really don't know. All I know is all the movies nominated stink. No one cares. I can't think of a more lackluster year or selection of movies. Really bad. Really bad. Fences. Are you kidding? Who gives a shit? 
a movie about a play is usually pretty bad. Just, uh, my Valentine is here. You know, we spent yesterday together. It was very romantic. Because uh, I really haven't been on a date on Valentine's Day since 1988. It's pretty sad. Mm. Every time I've had a girlfriend, it seems like it's in the fall. And then right after the Super Bowl, we break up. Probably because it has something to do with Valentine's Day. You know, Valentine's Day is normally a game breaker. Anniversaries, birthdays, Valentine's Day. All game breakers for relationships. Because those are those times you question the relationship. And you're like, where is this going? And how am I feeling about being with this person? All right, so anyway, uh, going back to The Godfather, I, I don't know where we uh, left off, but uh, so now we got Rachel Feinstein in. Uh, I think I told you Russman Eve is back in. However, yesterday I got an email. I sent the script to everybody yesterday. Yesterday I got an email saying he might not be able to be in. I don't think it has anything to do with me. He's got some other stuff going on and uh, he might not be able to make it which would suck but i have a backup plan because i've already been prepared for him not to be able to do it todd barry has not said he's not doing it. I think todd barry's in it tom cotter all the toms and uh dc benny i don't know if you know him he's a, a really great guy great comic i've known him for many years he's going to narrate i have no idea if he can do it i just said when i texted him i'm like dc do you know how to read from a piece of paper and he goes, yes, I think I can handle it. <laughs> and I'm like, because you'd be surprised how many people think they can, but they can't. The way I figure, if Russ can't do it, maybe I'll use DC Benny as Sonny and then call this guy that I know from college and see if he can narrate it. Because for this, I kind of need somebody who's a little bit funny who can you know, put some comedy oomph into the narration. Let me tell you, I'm very nervous. This is a real tough patch. You know, This episode has them just walking through Italy for an hour. Uh, there's not a lot of dialogue. I don't. Mm, I'm a little nervous. I don't know how it's going to be. Next week we'll um, we'll go over some of the lines. But uh, I didn't get a chance to uh, tell you last week. I got to tell you this is so funny, and I don't know whether he's going to use it as a joke. But you know, me, Russ, and Dave, and I was supposed to be already last Tuesday before we. I know I said that already didn't show up which was nerve-wracking. Now, he, now, I know he's been very busy. He's been on tour with Crashing, which starts this Sunday. And he's been going and interviewing and touring with Judd and Pete. Now, as you know, I thought I was going to be a part of that. So I've been very disappointed, not depressed. Um, I have to keep remembering that I'm still involved with it because otherwise it would kind of break my heart that I'm not included. Like, they were here this Saturday did the show and I, I just you know i thought normally if hardy was normal i think he would have been hey come to the show you know just hang out but i think like i said last week i, I don't know whether something's wrong or he's going through a bad time I, I don't know i know he's just um overwhelmed but i have to remember you know at least i'm in it there's no way they're cutting me out because i, I keep seeing the coming attraction they keep adding more and more of my part now i haven't had any lines in the coming attractions but you know, I'll take what I can get. But it starts this Sunday. It's very exciting. And uh, I guess already has been showing up to the performances, but I, I don't know anything else. I, I haven't really talked to him. I don't know. I haven't heard from Dan a lot. I assume everything's okay. This is going to be a great thing for Artie, too. I just hope that, you know, he he handles it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
I'm worried. I'm very worried. And, uh, you know, after the first episode, people are going to be like, Artie, you're the greatest. I mean, this is like the greatest thing to ever happen to people that worship Artie from Howard to his podcast to knowing how funny he is. I mean, how really funny he is. And we all know what a kind person he is. I hope he can handle this. You know, everybody's going to be really giving him praise again. And sometimes he has trouble with that. It's not as bad as Attell. But anyway, what I was saying was that me, Attell, Russ. So we went. We I didn't tell you this last week. After dinner, we went to smoke cigars at this place called the Carnegie Club. Something we never do. We just decided we would do it. Uh, Dave didn't smoke, but me and Russ did. Or Russ and I. And uh, I was very smart. I checked my coat, which I would never normally do because I don't want to. I remember the last time for Dave's birthday, we went to a cigar bar and I sent him the dry cleaning pill. So it stunk. This time I checked my jacket. I had to dry clean all my clothes the next day. I came home. I guess I was drunk. I mean, I had I had a scotch, I had two glasses of wine, and then I had a bourbon. So I guess I must have been a little drunk. And because when I woke up the next morning, my hair was colored. Uh, which was perfect because it needed to be done, but I don't remember doing it. I must have, I know I took a shower, but I don't remember. I thought I just shampooed my hair, but I guess I must have used the hair color. Uh, <laughs> um, now that's drunk. I woke up, my hair was colored. It was great. Um, I, I woke up and I'm like, oh my God, I've gotten younger. I went through a time machine. But Dave said the funniest thing. He, uh, he was saying that he went to his doctor and his doctor said, you know, you have to, you have very high testosterone level. And then he said, and then I put him in a headlock and punched him in the face and told him to shut up. <laughs> he just came up with that at the top of his head. That is not a joke because then Russ goes, you should use that. So I, I really think it was on the cuff. Guy's, uh, guy's a genius. He's a genius and everybody knows it. Um, I've been waiting to tell you that for two weeks, so. There's something else I've been waiting to tell you for two weeks, too. But, yeah. Um, when we did our show on Mannix uh, about two weeks ago on Mike Connors dying, I had forgotten to play this really one, really funny one thing, and I've been waiting to play it. And it's so weird. So Mannix, which, you know, was one of the hottest shows on television for about 10 years and produced, as we talked about, by Lucille Ball, does an episode where he plays Mannix on a Here's Lucy episode. And uh, this is one of the scenes. And the reason why I like it so much is because they take our favorite theme song, which, uh, to remind you, is this. Right, so that's the theme song. So uh, I'm going to try and get right to this, to the... Here's Lucy. <laughs> so it's Lucy and Mannix, and they're, apparently they're in a tight spot with some, uh, some robbers that, that come in, and they're, they're held hostage. But before the robbers are in, she calls Mannix, or she, she's been threatened because maybe she saw a robbery. And I think this is... I think I picked it up here. What? <laughs> Oh, wait, you 
bike. Well, yeah. wait, you didn't tell me what they looked like. Well, they look a lot like this. Yeah, he, he goes, you didn't tell me what they look like. She walks through the swinging doors, and then she comes back, and the robbers are there. That's what I like the best, is that they have that uh, music, the Mannix music that's, uh, you know, from the Lucy show. It's a little more, you know, uh, you know, as a, like the way I always use the full house music uh, after we do The Godfather. Well, uh, you know, you can't win them all. You know, just a, a quick one. So um, let's hear it again. Oh, wait, let me, we gotta, I got to play that scene. Here it is. Oh, goodbye. Oh, wait, you didn't tell me what they look like. Well, they look a lot like this. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh. Then they're held hostage later. <laughs> I forgot about that. My favorite. sorry about this. If I hadn't hit you on the head, none of this would have happened. Oh, that's all right. I've been in worse jams, although I can't remember when. Shut up. I'm trying to think. Yeah, we're trying to think. <laughs> I'm trying to think, dum-dum. And you're waiting for me to think. Right, boy. Shut up. Right. <laughs> and you shut up. You know you're one of the rudest crooks I've ever known. Do you know who you're talking to? Never mind, Lucy. He happens to be Joe Mannix, the best private eye in the business. Oh, I'm glad to know that. Yeah, I thought you'd be impressed. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're going to give him special treatment. Yeah, well, huh. he sent my brother to Sing Sing for 10 years. Thanks a heap, Lucy. I didn't know that. Rudy. Should we take care of them here, or wait till we get across the borders? You know, it's uh, this was the high, like one of the highest rated shows on television. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> uh, it's like listening to two broke girls years from now and being like, you know, this is one of the highest rated shows on television. Even though I, you know, kind of enjoy it. Anyway, I wanted to play that because I just like the. Uh, I love when they just have that. Uh, that they, when they take the music and slow it down and the best private I'm trying to I don't know why I like it it makes me laugh every time it's just so stupid and so funny um, moving on so Al Jarreau oh Oh, forget it. we've talked enough about Maddox. I was just realized there was a girl that me and my friend Danny Vermont used to love when we first started doing comedy because her name was Lucy Mannix. Uh, <laughs> so we, we both dated her. I think he actually slept with her. I just fooled around with her. But he actually slept with her, which was crazy. She was hot. Lucy Mannix. And then he bought me a Mannix poster, which I have here, but I've never been able to put it up. I was obsessed with Mannix. Enough of that. We're going to Al Jarreau. Al Jarreau died this week at only 76. Now, 
Why would I care about Al Jarreau dying? Who is Al Jarreau? Do a lot of you know? But you're not going to believe this. When people die, like David Bowie, (laughs) on this show, I always like to say, selfishly, how they affected my life, how certain people have shaped my life. And I gave you the Joe Mannix and why, you know, and, and, and how everything I do when I do a sitcom, it's always the Mannix opening or something like that. The strangest of people dying, you know what I'm saying? Like Joe Mann. I mean, David Bowie, uh, you know, didn't shape me or anything, but I love and, I, you know, it was effective. You know, then there's certain people that, you know, really did the number. And it's always the lesser known people. So how does Al Jarreau fit into this? Al Jarreau is a jazz singer mostly, uh, but kind of started in the very early 80s a a crossover of jazz, you know, and he did the really amazing, and he wrote it too, this uh, Moonlighting theme, which is really terrific. That is uh, from the TV show Moonlighting, but he wrote that song for the TV show, which is very rare when somebody writes uh, a really good song for a TV show, like a really good song. That's an excellent crossover jazz, whatever you know, new wave jazz music song. It, he sounds good, the lyrics are good, and it really fit the television show, the one with uh, Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd. God, she was such a beauty. Um, and it really just fits like moonlight. You know, it just gives you that kind of nighttime New York City feel to it. It's really good. And it's just, 
it's a very effective song, and it's really good. And I, I, I think about it all the time. I go through life thinking about it a lot. Actually, uh, I, I find myself, you know, when the show like we'll walk by, day, you know, just like start singing it for some reason, you know. Um, but it's got that good funk to it too. It's like uh, it's good. And at that time, I think I was like a you know, really into that kind of jazzy, it's not rock, but, you know, like a new, not the jazz that, you know, that, you know, we would see in the movies, you know, Dizzy Gillespie, that kind of stuff. This was a more modern feel to it, and I liked it. Like Dave Grusin, uh, who did the St. El- uh, Elsewhere theme and and a whole bunch of movies that, I mean, we could go into an entire two episodes of all the stuff he's done and how I loved it so much. And there was a period of time where I actually got to work in Dave Grusin's office, which was amazing. Uh, so I've always liked this kind of music. Uh, well, I, but it all started, and this is why I bring it up today, from Al Jarreau on an episode of SCTV, as you know, which meant so much to me. When they did a version of the jazz singer and they flipped it around, the jazz singer, if you've ever seen at least the Neil Diamond version, I can't imagine sitting through the original one. It must be very boring. Of course, the first talk he ever made, so the remake 50 years later with Neil Diamond, which is a classic, um, you know, where he does a lot, you know, that's where he has the song Coming to America and a couple of other, and even, you know, when you have an album from a movie and it has Kol Nidre on it as one of the, the hits, you know, the the, the, the Hebrew song, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty good. But um, in The Jazz Singer, Neil Diamond, his father is, a, you know, really Jewish. Uh, I don't think he is a rabbi, but he, you know, he's an Orthodox Jew and his son, Neil Diamond, is a cantor, which is the person that, sings uh all the songs at a service you know um they'll they'll do all the singing and and they usually have very nice voices and he neil diamond wanted to be a rock and roll singer or whatever you would consider neil diamond to be and he's like love on the rocks ain't no big surprise pour me a drink i'll tell you my lies and that's all from the movie and that's why they, it was actually probably pretty popular because he wrote some really good songs he was kind of popular at that time um so he wants to be a rock and roll singer and his dad is furious because you know he's it's uh lawrence olivier he plays his dad he's like i have no son yes sir. and uh so sctv did the twist with Eugene Levy used to play this Jewish character named Sid Dithers, and he's like, What you drive did you flew from Florida? And he, he would play this old Jewish man. So he plays Al Jarreau's father, and Al Jarreau is a rock star or whatever, and he wants to be a cantor. <laughs> and uh, Eugene Levy's character, Sid Dithers, is his producer of, of rock music, and he's got the beads, like the Bo Derek 10 beads, and he's like, what, you don't want to be in the rock and roll business anymore? He goes, Dad, I just want to be a cantor. And it's really funny because he sings a couple of notes like, Barog. It's, like, it's obviously they just gave him a couple of notes to sing, and it's really funny. He's like, Dad, I just want to be a cantor and sing a temple. So they did the twist, and it's really funny, especially that he's black, made it better. 
And what makes it even better, which I just realized when I looked it up because I had forgotten, is that uh, Rick Moranis plays Phil Silvers, who's his dad's best friend, and Joe Flaherty plays the rabbi. But he's playing Phil Silvers. Listen, kid, you're going to have to come to a decision. It's either rock and roll or canter. <laughs> He's doing it so good. But it's like, who would even know who Phil Silvers was? You could never. I mean, it's ridiculous. And the funny thing was, I meant to tell he was doing a Phil Silvers imitation. <laughs> Men, listen. I mean, we're even too old to know who Phil Silvers was. Phil Silvers had a TV show 10 years before I was born. But, you know, he just know from uh, uh, that it's a mad, 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 mad world or even Love Boat is like, oh, wait a minute. I mean, they, they, uh, there's a guy playing him on The Simpsons sometimes. Oh, you rotten kid. Whoa. And, uh, you know, his daughter was in Happy Days. Um, I think she played Jenny Piccolo, I think, if I'm correct. But um, this is the opening to the SCTV Jazz Singer. Tonight, SCTV's Movie of the Week presents the unreleased third remake, fourth version of The Jazz Singer. Now they're showing who it stars, starring Phil Silvers and Al Jarreau. Now they're in the studio. But before we continue, let me just explain how important this is. Al Jarreau is about to sing his hit that made him. It's called We're In This Love Together. And uh, it's, it's how the uh, phony movie opens. But I'll tell you in a second. And, uh, and the come That's Eugene Levy. They're coming, they're going to take a listen. It's <laughs> on the track, so, it's, uh, so we got so to have a good sound. <laughs> so let's lay by. Why do you uh, wear this for, from, for the session? Well, you have come in in your underwear, you can't wear a shirt with a, with a pinstripe. It feels good. It's, it, it works, Pop. You okay. can't wear some shirt. Look at me. Some chain, maybe a funkadelic type thing. Okay, yeah, so why don't we try that vocal, okay? I'm ready. So why, so why don't we do this? Let's do, let's do the vocals, and I can go, I can go over, I'll do the sax. Okay, Sid, we're rolling. Oh, yeah, he's going to play the sax. Okay, <laughs> bro, on, this is a Let's Live on Down.
Supposed to be Sid Dithers on the sax. It's such a smooth jazz. That's the word I was looking for. It's like the first appearance of smooth jazz. CD 101.9. It's so good. I don't know. Sometimes I might think you can't hear the bass part, but. And that's Al Jarreau, CD. CD 101.9, New York's favorite smooth jazz station. Al Jarreau and Sid Dithers on sax. And it totally reminds me of the 80s, too. You know, it's like it's just got that feel like it's, I think every sitcom opened with kind of a song like that, so it's kind of great. But the beauty is that this nice little song is on an SCTV episode. But I remember, you know, I saw it, so I, I, loving SCTV, I liked any song that was on SCTV. And they opened me up to people I had never heard of before because I wasn't too bright. But I mean, this isn't the sort of music I would normally listen to. You know, I like faster songs, you know, Boston, stuff like that. But I guess it worked because I'm like, this guy's so cool because he's doing this hilarious sketch. Oh, Yishol, Yishol, brother, sound, but I tell you the day I adopted you was the greatest thing what I did. Hey, Pop, I'm sorry I gotta go now. I've got shul tonight. You, what? Yishol, but we, we got some uh, dub to do there. The people from Paramutual Records is come to take a listen to the tapes. This is what we've been working for. Wait a minute, Pop. How many times do I have to tell you? We've been through this so many times. I don't want to be a soul singer. I want to be a cantor. Why do you think I've had my head buried in the Torah all of these years? Oh, man, it's something I've got to do. Don't you understand? But, and in conclusion, we must love our children. For That's Joe Flaherty. I want to get to the Phil Silvers part for a second, but Al is a horrible actor, you know, not a comedian, but that's what makes it so great because it's a, it's a musician and he's just playing this part and he's going with it. And the fact that he's black and that he's mentioned the Torah and Shul, I mean, this, I just thought this was the greatest thing ever. And you can see it's not, they're not putting that many laughs in it and stuff. It's just, it's not even that funny. But when you look at the concept as a whole and you're a kid in high school who wants to be a comedian or wants to do stuff like this, it's, it, it's like this, this Saturday Night Live wasn't doing stuff like this. Only this show was. And, and, and this was the greatest thing ever. Without our children, our lives would be as arid as the desert. <laughs> I like that. It sounds... Rabbi Mesh, 
Glad to see you, sir. May I have a word with you? Oh, glad to see you, sir. I mean, Rick Moran, I mean, listen to these guys. They're amazing. Because even if he's he's doing a perfect Phil Silvers, but even if he wasn't, the attempt of doing an imitation of Phil Silvers is funny. I didn't know who Phil Silvers was then, but it was the imitation was still working. It's like people coming to The Godfather who've never seen The Godfather. You pray that they're going to laugh anyway. It's, this is what was happening. Cantor Silvers. Cantor Silvers. Cantor Silvers. I love the way you say that, sir. It trips off the tongue. It's musical. Well, I was just working on my sermon. And a fine sermon it is, sir. Well, I tried to be topical. And well, you should be, sir. Sir, as you know, I'm retiring in a month, and the new cantor is here. He's doing wonderfully, sir. Would you like to meet him? Yes, I would. Fine, sir. He's a genius, Rick Moranis. They're, they're, Come they're, on, we don't have all day. They're all so good. You're talking about Eugene Levy, Rick Moranis, Joe Flaherty, who is underrated in every way, shape, and form, uh, John Candy, duh, uh, uh, Martin Short, Catherine O'Hara, Andrea Martin, who's also underrated. I mean, look at the cast of characters. There wasn't one flaw in anyone. It wasn't like having a Garrett Morris on the set who, you know, was like, huh? And now he's doing the Sergeant Bilko. Uh, this is our new canter, Yizzle Dithers. Not Yizzle Dithers. Little Yizzle Dithers? Oh, the adopted one? Your father and I go back a long way. I only hope I can do a good job. He's so modest, sir. He's a natural. Sing for the rabbi. No, no, Yizzle. Get the chus out. See, they give him like one line. You know, he has no idea what it is. That's great. But he's into it. I mean, this this is this is terrific. And and this is when I guess they moved to NBC and they became 90 Minutes. And for that year, they, they okay, so they, I saw, you have no idea how this affected me. And, and nobody did it since until actually uh, Larry, um, uh, uh, Gary Shandling did it in the Larry Sanders show. Because I was saying for years, I'm like, no, come on, we got to use musicians and and have them be part of the mission. That's what I used to say. Because there's an episode, and I don't remember it. I haven't seen it in years. Where they also used John Cougar Mellencamp when he had just had uh, Hurt So Good. And he's... I don't remember what the thing was. I just... In my mind, I remember, I don't like John Cougar. And yet, now that I see him on this show, he's the greatest person I've ever seen in my life. Because he has a sense of humor. So he's singing... It hurts so good, maybe. And then he comes off stage and starts beating somebody up because it's part of the mission. When the, when these musicians are okay with this, when they're like, hey, we have an idea. Would you be interested in doing this? And they're like, yeah, this sounds great. I, I mean, wh what was better than this? There, there was no way. This was better than music videos. They were participating in a, in a, a classic sketch. And they, would, they weren't singing off a record. They were doing their own versions. And I have proof of that in the sense of Hall & Oates, who also did uh, a thing called Chariots, Chariot of Eggs. Where they were doing a, a parody of Chariots of Fire. And they did Chariots of Eggs, where it was an, an egg race, you know, on a spoon. Uh, that was the gag. And uh, they were also making fun of that movie with the lesbians... Um, Margot Hemingway, I can't remember. It was a golden girl. I can't remember two lesbians who were Olympiads. So they combined the two movies, and Hall and Oates were competing against them. But they do an unbelievable, an unbelievable version 
with G.E. Smith from the old Saturday Night Live band as their lead guitarist of uh, Did It in a Minute, which I never liked until I saw it on SCTV. It is a real rockin' version. I'll find it one day. I don't think I have it. Um, it's amazing. And uh, they're on the Sammy Maudlin show. They're on the Sammy Maudlin show, Hall and Oates. Uh, and they're, remember, they're not Canadian. They're American, as is John Cougar and Al Jarreau. They're They're not Canadian. This is a Canadian show, and they came up, and they're like, we're going to do something funny on this Canadian show. Um, I mean, you just got to hand it to these musicians who you never thought had any kind of sense of humor. Uh, what they have? They have Wendy o. Williams and the Plasmatics and another band that I never heard of but always loved after, The Tubes. And they sing. I just, this is coming off the top of my head. I didn't have it written down. Uh, su sushi, yeah, cherry blossom. Um, they sing that song. And then I loved the tubes after that. I don't remember the scenario or how they do it. I th- Did they have Willie Nelson too? They had a bunch of musicians for a period of time, which is why I think people don't know them because their DVDs were delayed when DVDs started coming out because they had so many musical right issues. That was the problem. And they passed their time where people would realize the genius of SCTV. It didn't, it, it was too late to come out on DVD and they had it in pieces. It wasn't like season one, season two because of the musical rights, because nobody had anything like this. Nobody had them using musicians as part of sketches. Saturday Night Live never did that. They would just have musical guests. And sometimes the musical guests like Sting or uh, Mick Jagger would appear in the sketches, but never doing their songs as part of the sketches. I mean, this was a miracle and so cool. I'd never seen anything like it. And I just thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And I can't believe this guy, Al Jarreau. I, I bought his album right after that. I couldn't, I was like, this, this guy's the greatest. Look what he's doing. I mean, how would you not like somebody like that? And when I went to college after that, I started doing that myself. I was in this TV show for four years. And once I took over the producership, I said, and, and, and when these musicians come to our school, why aren't we using them in our show? Why aren't we using Huey Lewis? You know, at the time he came to the school, I'm like, we got to get Huey Lewis and say, and now here's Huey Lewis with the news. And then he would just be like, in today's top stories, I mean, that would be funny, right? That would be really funny, especially in 1985. That'd be like the most unbelievable thing that ever happened. But I just had figured out out that, out that so I missed him. But I did get John Waite. I, I'll play the clips for you. I got to find them. They're online somewhere. I got John Waite. You remember this guy? He played Missing You. Every time I think of you, I always... And I'm still standing here and you're miles away. And I wonder... And then he was in the band. um, I bought in everything he's ever done because he did my show. This guy did my show. I love him. It was so nice. I hooked up with some guy and he got him. I think I've explained this on the show before, but it's all because of Al Jarreau that I came up with the plan to do this. And John Waite was so kind that he did this gag we, and we put him in the sketch. And the sketch was, I'm there with my friend John, John Vitti. You know John Vitti from the Boston Globe who's coming down to The Godfather. Thank you. 
And I go, uh, John, uh, and John would be doing all these songs. He's like, well, listen, Dave, I know I've explained this on the show before. I can remember talking about it now. Well, Dave, I just got to tell you, I, I got to get going because um, my girlfriend's here and she's just a big baby. He was using because he used to be in the back of the babies and we're using some some of his music lunch. And, we're, and then he would leave and I'd be like, but John, wait. And John waits reading the paper and he goes, yeah. And I'm like, uh, and what's with the who, who the fuck is this guy? Uh, you know, we're just doing that bit. And, it, and it's really simple. So all he had to do was sit there reading the paper. And that was it. So nobody had a big commitment. I mean, an SCTV, I mean, they, these guys, they, they did a big commitment. I mean, it must have taken at least a day or more to film all the extensive stuff. I mean, Hall & Oates were not only on the Sammy Maudlin, they also filmed the movie of uh, Chariots of Eggs. That was one of the ones where Sammy Maudlin goes, which I was talking about, where he goes like, you showed the whole movie, you idiot. <laughs> so, yeah, we had John Wade on. You could only, you know, get who was there. I tried to get Santana on, but he wouldn't do it. So I've always hated Santana from then. Um, and then I got John Cafferty. Do you remember that guy? He did um, Live It on the Dark Side. Oh, yeah. On the Dark Side. But then he also uh, was on the Rocky Four soundtrack. And he came to the college. And he was so cool, so nice. He totally got it. Remember, we were, what, 19, 20? Well, he probably wasn't even much older, but he totally got what we were trying to do because I think he would go to all these colleges or venues, and it's always the same questions the reporters would be after, like, can you do that, can you do that? Or kids would ask stupid questions, and they're like, hey, or let's say they put him on TV and they're interviewing, it's just a regular show. We were putting him in a sketch. So we had this sketch where I played Woody Allen and my friend Danny Vermont played Tony Roberts, and he and we did the scene from Annie Hall, where uh, we'd be like, he's like, well, it's like um, John Cafferty uh, on the dark side, his inherent evil, and I say, you know, you have no idea what John Cafferty's about. In fact, <clears throat> I have Mr. Cafferty right here if you'll just. And he goes, man, you don't know anything about me, about my band. I mean, where'd you get this guy? I mean, it was awesome. These guys. Did it, and you know we could only do it in a small form. But I was just ripping off what SCTV had done, and I can't believe nobody did it. But, I mean, my plan was to have a sitcom where these musicians were part of the the mission. There was always my plan, and I tried so hard when I had my cooking show. I was friends with uh, Rivers, whatever his name is from Weezer, uh, his sister, and I tried to have them on and of course the premise when we sold the show was like uh and weezer the, you know something happens in the in the apartment and and weezer helps with the mission it always helps with the mission plus i wrote this show about myself called ty romeo not about myself but about this character of ty romeo who's an aging rock star and it was based on uh billy squire and his gayness and and, and that horrible uh, rock me tonight video he did which destroyed his career so mine's called rock me all over and it describes my career, you know, whatever. And everybody thought I was gay and it, it was rock and roll. But he's on an episode of uh, Remington Steel uh, where he helps with the mission. Because there's there's been a bunch of that, but they were all after SCTV. I've seen, I, I, I got that idea because I saw Boy George on an episode of The A-Team. But he's in the van helping with the mission. For me, there was nothing funnier than a musician helping with the mission even if the mission's not a mission if it's just a, a gag because that's just the greatest 
because uh, because it means the musician is cool. And when Elvis Costello would be on the Larry Sanders show, when he would do more than just sing, and you saw he had a personality and he was funny, like when he trashed his hotel room and he was on numerous times, and they do bits on the Larry Sanders show, it was like fantastic. Um, you know, because it it is just right from that SCTV thing, and nobody had done that before. I'd never seen anything like it. And there it is, Al Jarreau. Al Jarreau, and that song, I mean, this guy, it wasn't like he didn't have anything going on. It wasn't like Hall & Oates didn't have anything going on. John Cougar might not have had it going on. But Al Jarreau, this was, he was the hottest, he had the hottest song in the land. I can prove it because the 24th Grammy Awards, uh, last week I think they had the, the 50th or something, I don't know, um, he lost out his Breaking Away album, which had that lovely song, Lost out to John Lennon and Yoko Ono that year. Lost out to Double Fantasy, which, by the way, would have lost to Al Jarreau if John Lennon hadn't just gotten assassinated. There's no way they would have given that album, even though it's John Lennon, because I don't know if you know about Double Fantasy, but Double Fantasy, every other song is Yoko Ono. And even though it's got three amazing legendary John Lennon songs uh, watching the wheel woman uh, a missing one it's also got non-stop Yoko Ono songs so people hated it but if the guy gets assassinated you know he's gonna win so that's Al Jarreau got screwed that year he's obviously he was up against Kim Carnes right for Betty Davis eyes right the funny thing is she won everything that year for that stupid song. They were, he was up against Quincy Jones for the dude. That wouldn't have won. But they were also up against Steely Dan for Gaucho. How did that lose? That's an unbelievable album. That, I mean, look, if you're going to give it to John, John Lennon, and we always talk about these award shows, how you want something that you're going to remember. Uh, you know, Adele won Sunday that's all right. It's a pretty damn big album, and it might actually stand the test of time. Maybe you and I don't care for it, but it's a pretty popular song. But, you know, if you lose out to John Lennon, you're not doing too bad. But Kim Carnes won that stupid record of the year, that stupid Betty Davis eye song. Does anybody ever remember? She, she beat Christopher Cross for Arthur's theme. You know we love that. And... Uh, Grover Washington Jr., another smooth jazz. Oh, just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Yeah, that's a classic, too. And then she won Song of the Year somehow. I, I don't understand. Um, I lost, uh, beat out Dolly Parton in 9 to 5. That's a legendary song. We would have been okay with that. And then Best New Artist that year. I, I was just, I was fascinated by this. Sheena Easton. I guess she deserved it, but she she beat out Adam and the Ants and the Go-Go's. And Luther Vandross, who quite frankly, you know, if he didn't die, probably would have still been quite successful. And then, um, but he won. Al Jarreau won Best Pop Vocal Performance by a male. Beat out John Lennon for Double Fantasy and Christopher Cross. Best Pop Vocal Performance, which is weird because that song is not really poppy. And... uh he also won, he won, 
something. He won another uh, thing that year, but I'm not sure what it was. Beat out Mel Torme. I think he won Best Jazz, too, so I don't know how you can win. Well, see, like I said, it was a crossover. You know who won Best Rock Vocal Performance that year? Rick Springfield for Jesse's Girl. <laughs> but that that kind of made sense, I guess, at that time. Pat Benatar won for Best Female. We're okay with this. She beat out Yoko Ono. How'd she do that? And the police won for best rock vocal performance by a duo or group. And they won somehow best rock instrumental performance. But uh, I don't know. I'm always fascinated by that kind of stuff. And this year, you know, so Adele wins for Hello. Hello. Uh, I think I have some of that. Let's see. I mean, you know this song, so let's move on. Hello. Is it me it's you're looking for? Oh, sorry. I was wondering. I forgot right, Everybody knows this song. I must have called a thousand times to tell you I'm sorry for everything. It also won uh, Best Album of the Year. I mean, listen, she's a mega star. I mean, so is, you know, she's up against Beyonce, but. Whether you like her or not, she's a megastar. So it won Album of the Year, Record of the Year, Song of the Year. She didn't win Best New Artist, <laughs> obviously. She won Best Pop Solo Performance, like Al Jarreau, 30 years beforehand. Well, I mean, even though she's a woman. Um, she won Best Pop Vocal Album. And uh, I think that's all she won. But that's, you know, that's pretty much a clean sweep. Um, the other group that was, uh, you know, she beat out a lot of things was these 21 Pilots. I don't know them, but then when I listen to the song, I'm like, oh, I've heard this song before. You know it. I wish I found some better sounds no one's ever heard. I wish I had a better voice to sing some better words. I wish I found some chords in an order that is new. I wish I didn't have to rhyme every time I sang. I was told when I get older all my fears would shrink, but now I'm insecure and I care what people think. Lightning's blurry face and I care what you think. My name's blurry face and I care what you think. It's not a bad song. And then, you know, it's funny... Um, they would have won probably a bunch more, but they lost out to David Bowie uh, because he was dead. So he won Best Rock Performance somehow for that Black Star album, and you know that is just a posthumous, I think I pronounced that right, and he also won Best Rock Song for Black Star. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. So I think those guys would have probably won a lot more too if he hadn't died. He won Best Alternative Music Album, uh, you know, Best Spoken World Album includes poetry, audiobooks, and storytelling. Carol Burnett won. How old are the people that vote for these? Uh, she beat out Amy Schumer for The Girl with the Lower Back Tattoo. She beat out Patti Smith. And she beat out Elvis Costello. Carol Burnett did. The Best Comedy Album, Patton Oswalt won. I have no problems with that, do you? He beat out, or he beat out David Cross, Margaret Cho, Tig Notaro, 
and Amy Schumer. Good for Patton. He's a hey, he's okay. But uh, anyway, going back to uh, Al Jarreau and SCTV and people like that. So, so then you know, from now on, I'm down uh, with Hall and Oates because they were also on the show, and and so going into that Hall and Oates, you know, they're considered kind of lame and a little gay, uh, even though we know they're not. Um, Daryl Hall has an amazing show on, I don't know what network's on, but it's called Live from Daryl's House. And I want to be on it so bad because they have a bar and I could just sit in the back. I just I really wanted me and Artie to just go there and sit in the bar and hang out. It's called Live from Daryl's House. It's terrific. He brings in, um, you know, a, a musician every, whatever, every episode. Somebody very good. Like I saw one with, uh, what's the guy from the Eagles? Uh, Joe Walsh which was terrific. And the musician will play their songs and then he'll sing with them, Daryl Hall will, and then they'll also play one Hall and Oates song where he'll sing and they'll sing too, you know? So they switch off. And it's fascinating watching the process of how they learn each other's course. And then they also cook in between. They'll go to either a restaurant or they'll cook and just have, have a chef over and they show them eating. It's an amazing show. So the other day I taped, I'll tape ones like I have Cheap Trick I haven't seen yet. Uh, I saw one with uh, Neon Trees, uh, whatever, you know, which is kind of lame because they have one song. But still, I want to see them do that song, so it's okay. But I taped one with Kenny Loggins, who was really lame. You know, this guy fell out of favoritism with everybody. But when you watch this show and watch the one with Kenny Loggins, kind of fascinating how talented he is uh, or was because even Daryl Hall is like wow I had no idea how complicated this song was they do this and he's like I can't believe how complicated it was and there like almost with the SCTV I'm like hey, that uh, Kenny Loggins is alright let's do Footloose yeah let's do that so yeah the intro um, you want to start it with just drums like I'll start it with uh, like modern love. And I love that he's saying, let's start Footloose like in modern love. Now, Footloose came out before modern love, but he's like, let, I think, but he's like, let's start it with the modern love thing, which is so cool because I'm like, yeah, that is kind of like that. And then and we're you can, in. But yeah. you play the ball, 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 ball. Oh, wait a minute. No, no, I'm wrong. Because uh, the drums have got to come in first. I, I love this process. It is, I, I think it's terrific. I, I'm telling you, you're going to love this show, but he, listening to it is just as good. One of those things, I know it, but I don't know as it. Soon as you, yeah, as soon as you think about it, you, you can't do it. so many times, like you don't think about it. Yeah. Let's see if this works. He's going to play two bars by himself, just, just the, the, with the leg kind of thing. Not yet. Then the drums come in. Is that right? Well, he joins you on the bada. That's the, the back half of your lick. Okay. So he goes. Who knew Footloose was so complicated? See. <laughs> 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 
who could take the second line? Who knew Footloose was so complicated? But all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, Kenny Loggins is okay. And get your feet on Porter. the ground. Have been elected. You got it? Get your feet on the ground, man. Get your feet on the ground, Porter. Put your yeah. feet on the ground. Yeah. Okay. Let's try from the top. Okay. One, two, three. Uh. So awesome this way. Daryl Hall will take the next verse, which is cool. Really cool. I love it. I, I just I, I think it's so cool the way they come together, the way they explain how they set it up. And that was great. And then he was talking about this one, too, which um, you forget how many songs Kenny Loggins had before he started doing movie soundtracks. And this one, of course, he did with Michael McDonald. And that's Daryl Hammond on the key. Daryl Hammond. Daryl Hall on the keyboards. Oh, Zero Hall on the Hammond 2000. Again, sounds great. It's that 1982-83 new wave jazz form. Smooth jazz, 101.9. But they all had this feel, and that's probably why Al Jarreau's uh, album was successful. Yeah. 
sounds so great you know and uh i like when daryl hall comes in and stuff so then they do uh daryl one of daryl hall's songs and they do you make my dreams come true this is the way the show works it's terrific what, what key uh, what key are we in f, f you're still in the original key oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. what would you like to do in this can same we did on road i'll take the second okay you take the second verse and we sort of what do we do in the chorus i have no idea well let's kind of sing them together okay you want to you want to try doing a harmony or something oh yeah i'll go for it let's just do this Are you, kp one two three two and woo. that's hot okay this will be a good story i lost my hearing during daryl's house <laughs> won't be the first time yeah right Lenny Marcus' theme song from his wedding, You Make My Dreams Come True, got all the way back to 1982. It's Daryl Hall and Kenny together. Um, I just, you know, I love the show, and it's really great, and it's great when they have musicians you love. And uh, I don't know, do you like that? I, I love it. I love the process. And all those songs just sound so good. I would I would see them live. It's a little good, but... Uh, I mean, I'll just say, like in uh, Broadway, Danny Rose. Um, listen, you know... <clears throat> If, if that's old-fashioned, then, then call me old-fashioned. Because if, if it's old-fashioned to like Mr. Danny Kay, Mr. Bob Hope, Mr. Milton Boyle, then then all right, then I'm old-fashioned. That's from Broadway, Danny Rose. Like Mr. Danny Kay. <laughs> well, I guess, um, I guess that's the end of our show today, right? I, uh... 
I don't have anything else to report. I I just hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. And how uh, important, ironically, Al Jarreau was to me. Go figure. Uh, it's very, it, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know what the guy hasn't been following for 20 years, but it's weird when somebody dies and I'm like, oh my God, I have a show. Because, you know, in my head, all of a sudden, it's all coming back and everything, you know. So, that's the show. Anyway, Godfather, February 28th on Tuesday. Very nervous. Not sure. Uh, I don't know what's happening next week. Maybe I'll do the podcast over the weekend, put it out the regular uh, Thursday, but um, it might be out Friday. What do you want me to say? Hey, who the fuck is this guy? Um, so, that's the show for today. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you're having a great Great week. It's going to be a holiday weekend. George Washington's uh, birthday. I cannot tell a lie. I'm very much looking forward to the weekend. <laughs> How are you? I don't think I have a lot going on, but, you know, may it be a profitable gambling weekend for you. God, I can't wait to get to the track. When does that open? I can't take it anymore. I tell you, I can't take it. And next week, I'll try and read some passages from the Godfather. You'll let me know if you think it's okay. God, I got to drop 10 pages, but everything I write is brilliant. No, I know. That's the way I'm like, I'm like. I can't cut this. Of course I can. But I also got to be careful because I can't cut out any of the scenes people are expecting. Hey, how come you didn't put that scene in? So I get very nervous. Uh, but let me tell you, it's not brilliant. And uh, I am a little nervous because the worst thing that can happen is it goes long. But I guess we'll see. And that'll all come to fruition next week on March two weeks and March 1st when I let you know how it went. And the week after that when we play it here live. All right, everybody. I'll see you next week on the Dave Juskow Podcast. Hey, Crashing starts this Sunday with the great Arnie Lang, Pete Holmes. The Judd Apatow production starts this Sunday at 1030 right after an all-new Girls. Watch it this week on HBO. We'll see you next time.